Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening In a World, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, The Ghosts in Our Machine, The Untouchables, and Watermark. As part of the Bookshelf's 40th anniversary reading series, Stephen Hennigan reads from his new book, A Green Reef, The Impact of Climate Change. That's happening in the E-Bar on October 8th at 8 p.m. And Maud Barlow reads from her new book, Blue Future. That's happening at the Lakeside Church at 7 p.m. on October 9th. At the E-Bar on October 9th, you can see Odd Years, Lowlands, and Wayne Petty. And on October 10th, Bell Star, Jordy Lane, and Greg McPherson. The Bookshelf is located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Visit bookshelf.ca for more info. Creative Control with Bish Good morning. How are you? I am tired. I'll tell you right now, I'm a little tired. My son... Woke up at 5.20 this morning, and uh, my wife's away uh, as well, so I, it's it's on me. There's no... I had a late night, didn't matter, up at 5.20, so I'm a little tuckered, but it's fine. I'm very excited about this show, and don't let my exhaustion get in the way of that. A few months ago, I went to Oshawa, Ontario to interview Mike O'Neill. I'm a big fan of Mike's work and his band, The Inbreds, and his solo records. He's one of our great, great songwriters and a swell, swell guy. And he's uh, recently teamed up with uh, a, a woman named Devin Sproul to make a new record together. It's called Colors, and it's fantastic. So I wanted to catch up with Mike, and he said, uh, Mike lives in Halifax. He said he was going to be in Ontario to visit his family, and I said, oh, in Kingston? He said, no, in uh, Oshawa. I'm from Oshawa. I had no idea. So I went to his family home, and uh, I met his mom, and it was fun. And then I got a lot of background on, on Mike and his artistic life from from being a kid to being uh the adult man he is now he's also a screenwriter he he uh, works on the trailer park boys uh stuff the shows and the movies so he's a very accomplished young man and it was a great thrill to speak to him so i think you're in for a real treat uh so me and mike o'neill on the uh, show this week i might take a nap after this episode If you love listening to vinyl records but wish you had a better way of storing your collection, check out Records on Walls. 
This Canadian company has created a sleek, simple framing design with no glass that allows you to quickly and simply display your records. They're easy to install on any surface. They fit double LPs and gatefolds, and each unit sells for as little as 7 bucks. So if you love your vinyl and want an accessible way of showing it off, check out recordsonwalls.com. You know what I saw on the way in? What? O'Neill Collegiate Vocational Institute. Yeah. I saw a school named O'Neill. Is that anything to do with... You no, no, I mean, it isn't related to to uh, our family, but I did go to high school there. And that's where I first met Dave from the Inbreds. Really? You went to O'Neill School and you are... Yes. It's spelled the exact with the two L's and everything. Oh, yeah. And uh, I even used that to my advantage because I ran for um, student council president although we called it prime minister and so i i was the president of the student council in grade 11 um so yeah which yeah I, all i'm saying is it was kind of like an easy slogan it was like mike o'neill for o'neill yeah, yeah that's a good one that's clever you didn't have to think about it at all and i ran against a guy named jamie stewart or jimmy stewart wow and i beat him and he had the name Jimmy Stewart. Were you doing like, were you like, ah, Jimmy Stewart, he's no good. Were you doing like impressions or anything? I sh- I wasn't even, I, I hadn't even thought of that. That would have been, I didn't even have to do that. I just had to remind people that my name was O'Neill and we were in O'Neill High School. Right. So therefore, but he, he, his own campaign was his undoing. He was trying to say that, um, as I recall, and now, by the way, he's not here to defend himself, but he went on to be like some sort of a political pundit. And um, I know that his campaign was put the Indian head, as they called it back then, an Indian head, Uh back on the wall. Like there was like this um, mascot that was like a native, uh, you know, Indian head. And it was like, we need that painted back on the gymnasium wall. That it was, was removed. It was removed. Not not for the right reasons, just because oh. of a paint job. Oh. And he was like, let's get that back on the wall. That was one of his uh, promises. And then he showed up for the speeches kind of dressed very casually. And I, I was quite formal and dry. And I think that I kind of did better than him on based on those things. Now, too. wait a minute. I I, I, missed, I I already forget. Did you win? Oh, I won. You did win. Okay. I did win. Yeah, so no, you, this has a great ending. You I beat won. Jimmy Stewart. I beat Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> it was a less than wonderful life for Jimmy Stewart on election. He didn't day. end up going to Washington, that guy. No, I, <laughs> no he never there's went a, to Washington. It's a huge... I bet... Never mind. There's yeah. a, so many things we could do. That's right. So, Mike, your mom is with us. Yes. And what can you tell us uh, about uh, living in Oshawa... For all this time, you've—I understand—you bought this house in 1968. Yes. And what, 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 why? What makes you stay in Oshawa, Ontario? I know so many people from here that want to leave Oshawa. Well, I like it because um, it has public transit from wherever all my children live, and uh, you know, if they don't drive, well, they can get here quite easily. So I like it fine. I'm used to it. Right. And. So I like it. Mom used to drive. Uh, she had a little uh, Volkswagen. Uh-huh. She drove, and um, and then she sort of raised us because I'm the youngest of six kids. And then the only time Mom would drive a car after that was to uh, bring the drive the uh, car down to the bottom of the driveway so we could play hockey in the driveway. Uh, her license had expired. By and this that point. driveway right here, this yeah. one. Wow. Oh yeah, it's a long driveway. It's a long driveway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, Mom still lives here and. Uh, 
most of the kids live in the Ontario area, but I live in Halifax still. And, and my sister, Mary, who was, was here uh, earlier in the week, she lives in North Carolina with right. her kids. And right. she's a nurse down there. So so your kids are kind of spread out all over the place. Well, just the two are, are away from here. Just Michael and Mary are away from here. The others are kind of, you know, Barry. Um, Curtis, which is Curtis nearby. is which is very nearby, and Joe is in Toronto, and, and uh, Peg is in uh, Bethany. Yeah, Peg is in Bethany. So, you know, I'm I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, I you're... wish they all were here, though. <laughs> well, geez, Mike. She always wants more. <laughs> that seems like a plea for you to maybe move back. Oh uh, well, you know, I mean. What if she was like, I don't care what he does. He can live wherever he wants. Well, then I mean, you'd be free and clear to live. <laughs> so I'm not free and clear. Live your life in Halifax the way you do. Yeah. Well, I, I keep saying that uh, I definitely see myself moving back uh, someday, um, uh, for sure, because um, I'll tell you, like even on a, a very uh, animal level, when I smell the tar in the air, when I, I get close to Oshawa, I know that I'm home. A visceral sort of reaction to being... Near your home. That's right. I yeah. definitely feel that. And I mean, uh, with so much family being in Southern Ontario, it's, uh, I miss it, you know, like it's, um, it's been manageable, but coming home like just once or twice a year is often not enough. And, uh, I've lived in Halifax now since 96. So that's been a long time. Yeah, you've been that's gone. the longest. I, it may be the longest I've lived anywhere. Even no, not quite, because I I lived here till I was nineteen. So, but it, it's getting close to be the the place that I've lived the longest. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I understand that uh, you are into crafts. Is that fair to say? Have you ever been into crafts? There's a song of Mike's where he mentions that his mom is into crafts. Well, I knit a little bit. Um... And that's really about all. That's about it. I like crafts. I really enjoy uh, looking at them, like uh, quilts and things like that really, you know, make me happy. But uh, I certainly don't do them. Okay. I admire people who do very much. Now, remember when you and Dad used to go on those trailer trips? Oh, yes. We did a little bit of um, stained glass. Yeah, and I like that very much, too. Stained glass. Yes. Harry was much better at it than I was, though, because he uh, had more um, artistic stuff about him than I ever did. And Michael certainly got it from him. You know that Michael is an artist, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he sure is. Well, thanks, Mom. Yeah. I like to think of Michael as a very important artist myself. I'm a big fan I of his work. I mean music, though. Oh, you mean visual? I mean, I mean uh, drawing. So did you, so when Michael, when you discovered that Michael had these interests when he was a young man, did you encourage them or were you like, ah, pish posh, I don't know if that's the right route to take. Are you wasting your time? What kind of parent were you? Um. <laughs> you can be honest. Were you supportive or were you like... Michael, I don't know. No, no, I, th- I think we were, re- I think we were pretty supportive, Mike. Do you think so, or what? Well, I mean, I, I'll hear some solid examples. I want solid examples. Okay, that's why I drove down here. Okay, <laughs> I don't want you to have driven all this way for nothing. So I'm not going to clam up now. Um, well, my dad helped me make a drum set out of uh, rusty. Okay, like this is incredible. But mom and dad bought a farm when uh, I was two. Was that right, mom? Around 72, would you say? Yeah, it was around 72. 
So my dad, my dad worked for IBM, but he also was very clever, like a bit of an engineer. Very handy. Very yeah. handy. Handy guy? Yeah. Handy yeah. guy. So in some of the barns at the farm, uh, there were these like old, I guess they were almost like giant paint cans that feed or other things would come in uh, for farmers that lived there before we owned the farm. But they were very rusty. And then there were also old fertilizer bags, which were made out of like a heavyweight plastic. So dad showed me, because he knew that I wanted to play the drums, and he showed me how to make drums by threading two fertilizer bags around an old can. Right. So we actually built a drum set. And uh, he bought me a banjo that I play on my latest record. Um, and um, so he made sure that, you know, like within reason, if there was something that I wanted, dad would, would get it. I felt felt that way yeah. about it. But I, but I also feel that, that would you say, I, know, I remember you saying these words to me, mom, that like drawing is, is kind of like a great hobby but it's very competitive. Do you remember saying that to me? I'm sure. Yeah, and that was to protect me, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you didn't want me to get hurt and and uh, sort of like get my mind, make up my mind that I was going to be an artist and then find that I wasn't good enough. Right. So I think there was a bit of that. Okay, so there was a little bit of guidance towards what, you know, because, you know, vocationally, parents are always concerned about their kids. My parents totally concerned vish is a parent himself well now i am a parent that's yeah, true yeah. i am a parent but i haven't pushed my kid in any particular direction How he like my son is going to be uh, uh no what am i talking about he's going to be two years old he's already 20 he's well, two years old my that's son just is short of two years my son is two years old basically oh, okay so there yeah you go. Okay. yeah so he's developing and uh, very interesting he loves it's a great time yeah, yeah he loves yeah. music and oh uh, yes yeah or he loves everything right now he's <laughs> a big fan of stuff but we you know it feels early yet to push them in any particular direction, well, I you, think. you show Vish after, um, you know, your drawing on the wall upstairs. Oh, yeah, I'll explain all, all you, that. You've got a drawing? There's a drawing on the wall upstairs in my bedroom. When did you When did you make it? I made it when I was 18. Oh, okay. To, to impress a girl that um, I was taking to the prom. Oh, nice. Yes, and it's it's actually quite embarrassing for me. But <laughs> I think... One of you, yourself, Mike, you know, that what, what kind of... Um, Acrylics, the painting done in acrylics. Yes, um, in honor of myself, I made. Well, no, I, it's not. I'm only kidding. I, 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 I took this course at Queens uh, that was kind of like a minor in fine art, and um, we had to do this self-portrait, and I did it in uh -huh. pointillism. But anyway, pointillism. pointillism. Okay, I'm not. I'm not George Surratt. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, but I'll tell you this, and Mum won't agree with me, but I was always destined to be like the third best artist in class. And as soon as they invented the camera, my potential as an artist was eliminated back in the 1800s. Oh, I see. I, all I can do is I can look at something and I can roughly, you know, draw the superficial outline of it. That's how I felt. I know you'll disagree. And I, I think that I was, I started with a certain amount of like, talent but then I, it just never went anywhere well come on that's not no no i'm talking about drawing and just stuff. drawing okay just drawing i'm not don't use it you'll lose it that's good advice well if that's true of a you lot of didn't things use it mike and that's why you lost it oh my goodness mike <laughs> what happened why didn't you use it you lost it well he's busy with music i think 
You think that if Mike had uh, carried oh, on with I drawing, don't know. well, you I, don't know. You know who knows? Right. Uh, and like I say, it is very competitive. But Mike almost went to that um, Toronto School of Art. Remember? Yeah, Mike? I got accepted to OCA, uh-huh. and then I was sure that like because but my high school marks were so dismal that I thought I'll go back to O'Neill High School, and uh, I'll improve my marks. What? Which I, after you'd already been accepted. Yeah. Why would you, you already got accepted to the school? Why would you think OCA? Of it? Well, I thought I wanted to be taken uh, seriously academically. <laughs> I know it's crazy. <laughs> they already let you into the school. Your marks were clearly okay. I think I thought like, okay, I got into OCA, but that was too easy. This is it's got to be harder than that. But then you got you wanted to go to Queens, didn't you? I did. I wanted to be an art restorer, oh. and you had to get a degree in chemistry. But at first, when I got that... Uh, well, wait a second. Hang on a second. Queen's is a very prestigious school. It's in Kingston, Ontario, and it's very hard to get into. Yeah. How did you think that... You got into OCA. Your grades, you say, were bad. How did you manage to get into Queen's? Because that's a hard school to get into, I would I know, think. You're sounding kind of like my dad or something right now. <laughs> You'd make a good dad. But, but what I did was, I kind of... I think it would be called kind of like going in the back door, and I went part-time. Right? At Queen's. Queen's. Oh, and um, and then that's where Dave was already in a band, and then I went over to the rehearsal space one day, and uh, anyway, the rest is history. Okay, so the, so I didn't know this. I, I was when I thought when I I know Mike from his band, the Inbreds, right? And I know that they're from. I know in my head they're from Kingston. When he told me he was here in Ontario and visiting Oshawa, and I was like Oshawa. I I had no idea you were from Oshawa. Oh. And I just didn't know that. I don't know why it never came up. And, oh. and, and now that I've discovered that you and Dave, your partner in Inbreds, actually met at the high school right. named after you, basically. <laughs> Essentially named after you. So a sure history would be like, I went to a Catholic uh, elementary school, St. Greg's, and then I didn't go to Paul Dwyer, and I ended up going to O'Neill. And then I met Dave when I was 15, and right away we started jamming. And he had a drum set, and I had my older brother Chris's guitar, and we. How, wait, how many siblings do you have? Mary, Chris, John, John, Peg, and Joe. Wait, I'm I, the youngest of six. Oh my! I didn't know that either. Yeah. That's amazing. You so that's why mom knows the these house. things. Wow. That's why wow. mom knows these things about raising kids right and not getting their expectations. And do, do the other kids have sort of artistic uh, attributes or aspirations? Peggy did, but she didn't do anything at all about it, although she always has liked uh, singing. I think she had kind of dreams about singing, don't you? And she certainly, because she was the eldest, um, like on our way to church from the farm, she'd always get them singing in the back seat. And, uh, you know, we had lots of singing going on to and from every place we went. So wait, but Peg, what does Peggy do now, Ann? She's a nurse. Nurse. Both my girls are nurses. I was a nurse. See, I and this is, I don't want to take us off track here. I'm I've I've recently one of my jobs. I lost my job. My job was eliminated, and it's got me thinking about how maybe I should have chosen a more sensible path. You know, even though I'm doing exactly what I love, like this kind of stuff is what I like to do, and I'm still doing it. But I this I've just been reflecting a lot upon this, so I I feel like. Peggy's story is interesting. She had an interest in music and then ended up taking a, probably a more sensible route. And and Mike, I, I don't know how you feel about that. Have you ever questioned your your direction as an artist, as a musical artist? Of course. Of course I have. <laughs> and and um, But I guess what I'm saying is that um, it's funny 
because uh, I've I've been very I know how lucky I've been, uh-huh. and I've definitely been living by the seat of my pants for sure. But when I when the inbreds broke up in '98, that's when I met Mike Smith. It was our last tour, and Mike Smith was touring with this band called Sandbox, and he, little did any of us know, but he had just begun or was about to begin working on Trailer Park Boys playing the character of Bubbles. And at the time, like, we were looking at each other, thinking about how we were both, our bands were breaking up. And at that time, he he gave me the advice of taking a sound mixing course. Okay. And um, uh, I don't think that I took the advice at first, and I worked in a record store, and I was miserable. I thought, I guess this is where I end up. And I, when I, whenever I'm really miserable, I think about how my grade one teacher, Mrs. Ralph, would have would feel when I'm in this miserable situation, if I'm hungover or if uh, what other, well, when I worked at the record store. And she thought I was going to be prime minister, like for real. She actually had... Mrs. Ralph thought you were going to be the yeah, prime minister. Yeah, she thought I was going to be wow. the prime minister of Canada. Not just of O'Neill CVI. No, no. Of the whole no. shebang. She was thinking wow. <laughs> bigger than that. So anyway, um, so all I'm trying to say is that I took Mike Smith's advice and I landed some work doing documentary sound. And um, and then that led to Trailer Park Boys. So what did you do on Trailer Park Boys? Oh, I, I mixed sound on Trailer Park Boys. And then eventually... For uh, the entire run of the show? Well, I, I started in season three. Because oh, okay. Mike Smith was acting slash recording sound for the show. Really? And then as the character of Bubbles developed, he passed the reins to this... My other friend, Blaine Morris, who helped me mix the record, Wild Lines, and he also wrote the theme to Trailer Park Boys. It all kind of ties in. Anyway, then I did the show from season three until season seven. I also acted in it briefly, and then I I got really close to the director, Mike Clattenburg, who also happens to be a very good drummer. Yeah, yeah. And so he, he became the drummer for me on Wild Lines, and then he also said, you know, let's why don't we write together? And we wrote a movie called Moving Day, you know, which came out a couple of years ago. And then I've also written the new Trailer Park Boys movie with Mike. So I guess what I'm saying is somehow, by following music, I suppose I could say, yeah, it sort of opened up opportunities through those relationships that have led to me being able to make a living so far. Um, but I always have those feelings like, is this practical? Is this what I should be doing? I feel less about that fear that kept me from going to OCA in the first place of like, oh, people need to take me more seriously. I don't worry as much about that because I do realize that like what I, what I'm doing is, is something that only I can do. I think everybody wants to feel like whatever they're doing in life that they're irreplaceable. Like the worst feeling is feeling like if you were gone, somebody could just come in and do your job. So I've been lucky to have a string of jobs where I feel like it would be hard to replace me. Yeah, you, so. you don't seem expendable. It sounds like you're uh, you're irreplaceable. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> and and are you are you are you? Uh, this may be an obvious question, or maybe it demands an obvious answer. But are you are you proud of your son? Oh yes. Yes, I certainly but am. But all, of all the kids, too, right? Yes, huh? of all the kids. Really, of all the children, you're the most proud of Mike? No. Of, uh, no. Oh, oh, I see. You're proud of all the kids of in all general. The kids, oh, okay. Right, the one right. thing that's amazing about both my parents is like, I think that they really made us feel 
There was no favorites. They were always very cool about that. An example would be mom would get fruit cocktail. And uh, so it's like made by some company. Del Monte. Okay. Del Monte. Del Monte. A plug for the Del Monte people. (laughs) Good. Good work, guys. So so Del Monte would, sorry, the the maker of this, uh, this fruit salad would always put a cherry uh, in there oh, oh along well it's a good example so there'd be peaches and and other kinds of fruits you can't even little melons and stuff like melons that. and stuff yeah. like that yeah. yeah and then but on the label they would the cherry would be very prominent sure. in fact it would be like half cherries on the label but when you open it up there often only be one or maybe even three quarters of a chewed up very dyed cherry like injected with some dye Ugh. anyway mum would find that and she would because she had six kids she told the kids, if you get cherry in your fruit salad, it means you've been good. Oh. So she would, was often faced with turning three quarters of a cherry into six even pieces and making sure it was in every bowl. That is dedication. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> I'm sure I never did that. <laughs> sure Something did. of a denial. She sure did. Something of a denial. Oh, yeah. Well, your father uh, is, is, I assume, no longer with us. No, he passed away two years ago, is it yeah. now, Mom? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, yeah. but I, uh, presumably he would also be very proud of, yes, of all I'm of you. Sure he would. Yeah. I think he told people yeah. when I wasn't oh, around yes. that he was proud of me, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And um, like when Mike played in Peterborough, um, he had a cousin of his, you know, and brother and sister-in-law and all that stuff come and see Mike when Mike was there. And it sometimes it happened that Mike was on first, but sometimes it happened that he was on pretty late. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then in Toronto, you had uh, Aunt Marlene and Uncle Keith come. What about that time that uh, I played the horseshoe, and it was kind of like a big show for us, and then Joe told you it was a dump? Oh, I don't remember that at all. Mm. Do you think the horseshoe's a dump? No. No, it's a, I, it's a fine I venue? Didn't. You think it's okay. fine? It's a bit. It's a bit dumpy. It's. It's. it's I, 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 I like I, it. I. I don't, I don't I, have a problem with it, but it is a little <laughs> dumpy. I mean, my you know, goodness. For, for old people, Mike, it's different. You know. Okay. You know, when people aren't used to, you know, going to the bar and having loud music and that, and you remind you certainly reminded us to have earplugs. Yeah, you right? need earplugs. Yeah. Well, that was actually that's another story I wanted to tell. Do you remember the time that I told you to bring earplugs? And then I believe the wooden stars were opening up. And uh, so this is for the inbreds? For the inbreds. Yeah, yeah. So mom and dad were sitting at this table. They had a pretty good seat and it was in the horseshoe. And um, they were both looking ahead at the wooden stars and uh, watching and smiling. And uh, then I said to mom across the table, Mom, did you bring earplugs? And she was smiling, couldn't hear me. And I was like, Mom, did you bring earplugs? And she moved in and I was like, Did you bring earplugs? And she. She nodded, and then she she told me to wait, and she dug down under the table and brought up the purse and then pulled out the earplugs, and I was like, put them in. You have to put them in. Do you you remember that, Mom? No. You don't remember that. Did you ever practice? Did the inbreds ever practice in this house? Or is Um, there any... I don't think... I think you practice about a couple of times in the garage. Yes. Uh, See, we were never the inbreds until we formed in, uh, in Kingston, but before that... We had um, a, a number of bands, and we would always practice at Dave's house. Oh, like, okay. The big as a as a um, future father of possibly uh, a band, 
you know. Oh, like, uh, yeah, right, right, yeah. It, you have a daughter, Vish? No, it's a, it's a boy named Levon. Okay, when Levon... Levon. Okay, well, this is perfect. Because when <laughs> Levon starts playing the drums, as we all know he will... Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, he... Uh, it's going to mean that the band comes over and plays at his house. Yeah. Whoever he or she who has the drums, you know, holds the practice space. It's true. And it's so, the most work to... I, and currently, my drum kit is set up in our house. Oh, well... So when he comes back from his trip with his mom, he's going to be playing the drum kit for sure. Well, there you sure. go. And it's going to be... I, I don't know what I've wrought upon our house. I, it may have been a, a terrible mistake. I'm going to find out pretty soon. Yeah. So I remember with Dave, um, his... I remember coming home. I know you like this story. And I told you, I don't remember saying this, but I said, Mr. Ulrich goes on walks all the time. Every time we play, he goes on these long walks. <laughs> There's uh, nothing the matter with him, Mike said says. That. Yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> he goes on walks, and yeah. I thought, oh... <laughs> I wonder a, why there was a there was another brother named Albert, and every time we practiced, he would lie on the the ground on the second floor because it helped his back. Oh. The vibrations helped his back, oh. so that was therapeutic. Nice. Oh, there's a. Phone oh, you got one. a phone call. Well, why don't we take a look up at the drawing okay. that you have upstairs? And you know what? Are you? Okay? What if we play a wild line song right now? Oh, you go right ahead. Let's play a wild line song, and we'll go. This upstairs. could be a request for it. This right could now. be <laughs> calling in right now. Do you want to? Do you want to hear any particular song? Well, why don't you? Why don't you play Overtime? Because okay. on that track, you can hear the banjo that my dad bought me. Okay. As a symbol of his support. Sure. This okay. is this is Overtime by Mike O'Neill, and we're going to learn more about Mike and Oshawa, maybe, and his house in just a moment. I've been working overtime to keep cars in the streets. You can say it doesn't matter. You can say it doesn't matter. But it matters to me. Yes. This mural is quite impressive. What? Thanks a lot. Are you impressed? Isn't this... Do you want to go to the prom, Vish? <laughs> this certainly has religious overtones, to say the least. It's uh, Michelangelo's uh, Sistine Chapel, uh, the creation of Adam. Right. And so it's uh, on the right, it's, uh, you know, God uh, sitting with children and women, I think. Right. Uh, and... Um, 
And then there's a lot of nudity. I mean, did you did you notice? I have noticed some of it. Yes, I, I feel like you censored some of it, or it, it's you know. It's... Well, my mom, who didn't say so down downstairs, she said, "Michael, you have a gift for drawing, but just make sure that you don't draw any naked people." She did say that. What? Why? I think she thought for my own amusement, I would draw naked people and kind of get off uh, on that. Sure, sure. So, but I, but anyway, when, when it comes to religion, you can just do anything that's been done. So you can see, like that woman. Yeah, there's a bit of editing maybe on her breast. Yes, there, so. there's no right. Yeah, and uh, and you can see Adam over there and looking naked, and he's hanging out all over there. So you drew this to impress a woman that you were going to take, a girl that you were yeah. going to take to your high school prom? That's right. And did it work? No, I mean, she came, well, she she lived in Ottawa, so it was always a really long bus ride when I went to see her and she came here. And then she came to the prom and we did what people do when they go to the prom, like we danced, uh -huh. ate, and then we went to somebody's house and got pretty drunk. Uh huh. And then on the walk home, she broke up with me. Oh, she was your girlfriend? She was my girlfriend, oh. but I was going to blow her away with this Sistine Chapel Why did she break rendition. up with you? I, I don't know. Oh, man. What's I, her name? Tell her, I want to know her name. <laughs> her name was Monica Eichmeier. Monica Eichmeier. And she, she's a lovely person. She was a hockey player. My dad liked her a lot. She uh -huh. was a hockey player. But, uh, you know, I mean, it didn't make any sense. She lived in... I was living with my parents and, and drawing this and... Yeah, I mean, and, I'm sad that she didn't come to see. Was she also? No, a, she did. She came and saw uh, it. Oh, but it's she. She made it here, oh. and we went to the prom. Uh, oh, but then everything kind of fell apart. Oh no! Do you think it was because of this I, that she broke I up with you? Even I never even it thought of that. Is it too heavy? It's a little heavy. <laughs> like I, I, you're going to the prom and you bring up God and the Michael. It seems a little heavy to me. I think I, this is purely to impress other people because, like, I'm not super religious, but my my parents just loved it. They just loved it. So you're not a super religious guy, but your no. bedroom has this mural in it. I mean, yeah. come on. That's I know. the creation of Adam. I mean, that's fairly religious. This is an iconic religious image. You're not that religious. To me, it's just a bunch of lines and uh, potential. To you, it's a challenge. It's a, To me, it's a challenge. It's an artistic it challenge. That's what it is. Huh. And uh, probably depicting the greatest challenge of all time, the creation of humanity monica eichmeyer what were you thinking i, I don't mean, know this is quite impressive i, I mean, know well, i feel like you should is she still do you know have you kept in touch with her in any way i uh it's been a long time but i remember her um i think she actually apologized to me years later oh. when the inbreds played in vancouver oh she was in she's in vancouver oh, okay. she was i don't know where she lives now she apologized for breaking up with you at the well the way she broke up with me was a little bit harsh yeah yeah that sounds all. like it yeah sounds like it all right, what else do we got? This is great. Thank you. Well, here's here's this pointless picture. Who cares? It's just it's a, it's a university age me holding a guitar. It's sure. not that impressive. Well, that's kind of impressive. What do you? That James Dean poster. I put it up when I was probably fourteen or fifteen, and the reason I'm pointing it out is it's still up. Like that Scotch tape is still holding that oh poster up, which is incredible. It's just never been moved at all. No, it's never been moved. Huh. So that is a testimony to Scotch tape. Yes, if Scotch, nothing else. We've plugged Del Monte already. Why I'm, not give the Scotch <laughs> tape people a little plug as well? I, I need sponsors. So no, it's fine. That's and, fine. That's so. What, what, what is it about James Dean? This is James Dean. He's wearing a cowboy hat. He's kind of brooding. What, is this a movie still? That's from uh, Giant. That's from Giant, right? Yeah. yeah. So what? Uh, why is why? What's the connection? Yeah. Well, I think that my my brothers, uh, Chris and John. I think they kind of thought I was cool. 
And I think that they associated me with a cool person. And so that's why they gave me James Dean. Oh, they stuff. gave it to you. Yeah, they gave, my brother gave me that poster, which, which is nice. But did you do you yourself? Are you a fan of, of James Dean? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, he's a good actor for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he also exudes a certain cool. I mean, he. Yeah, he which is... I. I, I don't. No. I, I'm not a similar... Like, I could never... I'm not suggesting that, but did you aspire to that level of... Maybe as a kid, we all probably want to be cool, right? Yeah, I guess I probably did. Hmm. I guess I did, but I was always such a, like... Uh, what? How would I describe myself? Like a verbose, detail-oriented sure. nerd. Sure. That's sure. how I would describe sure. myself. And still am. You know, it's funny. I look back, and I, I don't know if this is normal or not, but growing up, I would put posters mostly of guys up. And it was mostly like, it was like Michael J. Fox and yeah. uh, you know Wayne Gretzky and I and I and bands and it was just guys 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 but but I like girls you know and yeah. I and I never put posters of women up and I don't know if that says something about me. That's very interesting. Now Matt, you don't. Well, you've got a. But a, that's that's you've a, got a naked woman. Basically. That's a naked woman, but again, it's art related. It's art related. It's an Ontario College of Art poster. It was probably given to me when I when I made it into the school open house. I uh, often think yeah. of how my life would be different if I if I did go to OCA. I think it would be very different. I, I'll show you this. Yeah. This is really <laughs> embarrassing. Look at this. So I thought you were going to show me that jacket. What's this? I, it's that's a closet. That's a corduroy jacket. It's a closet, and down here in tiny letters, uh -huh. I wrote this when I was uh, in grade 10 or 11, and it says, written in very poor grammar. I never failed at anything I really tried for. Very awkwardly written, but... There you go. What does that mean to you? I think it means I was failing in school. Oh. And so I was trying to tell school... Uh, in the tiniest font. In, in your room, in, in your my closet, room, in my sending closet, them a little message. Sending a little message to the world. Uh, in this dark closet that, huh. that's that's interesting isn't it you know i feel like your whole bedroom is like a little diary like yeah. when you think about it it's like sketches and little pronouncements yeah i mean this is a really a place where you expressed yourself yeah i did and this kind of small writing helped me make little cheat sheets for tests too you can see how <laughs> how articulated it is but uh but yeah i guess it is and and i'm glad it hasn't changed um and oh, and the, the other, oh, the, the other very important piece, yeah, over there, is that Beatles thing. Yes. Now, what a... happened was I, f I first heard the Beatles in this room. This is where it all ended really? for me. Yeah, because uh, it was I just see like a stereo or anything. Did you have? Oh it? no, I mean this isn't the original kind of decor. Oh, but okay, okay. When I first lived in, as you know, we were mentioning before, there were six kids in the family, so we all doubled up. Joe and I lived in this this room. And then Marion, uh, Peg there, and John and Chris in that Oh, uh, okay, okay. So anyway, all I was going to say was that Joe and I had uh, single beds. Joe was on that end, and I was here. Okay, okay. And uh, John Lennon got shot. And uh, You would have been 10? I was 10 years old. And they started playing the Beatles. Like, that was around Christmas time in 1980. December 8th. Yeah, December 8th. And they started playing the Beatles non-stop on the radio and I heard the Beatles so much and I still remember hearing Twist and Shout and I remember I I think this is interesting but it's like I remember how I felt and when they would sing and they they did those harmonies that would build up I remember almost feeling like like laughing in an almost embarrassed way like it was like it was so 
exciting. I think I was just giggling and I was excited, but it was like totally going into my head and well, I didn't realize it was going to change. Because it's exciting, it's earnest, but there's a sense of fun to it. Those, yeah. Those harmonies. That's like, exactly, that's exactly a great description of yeah, what it was. Yeah. No, I, I held it. I discovered the Beatles when I was like four or five years old. My cousin, Anand, got me into them. He lives, I don't know, where are we? He lives in like Scarborough. Yeah. And he had Beatles tapes and he had Love and Rockets tapes and all these tapes. And I would... Those are good. Yeah, I just too. didn't know. I, I mean, in the cult, like he just had stuff that he had at the time. And he got me into the Beatles. And yeah, it's weird. A switch goes off in your head when you like music and you hear the Beatles for the first time. Oh, man. And I remember it vividly. I remember hearing it for the first time and having that sense of like, what is this? Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, now I'm just a huge... I mean, you know, it's so funny. You take it for granted, the Beatles, I guess. And to say you're a big Beatles fan. Like grow in high, in growing up, I was made fun of for liking the Beatles. That's ridiculous. Yeah, kids made fun of me for liking the Beatles until like grade nine or 10. They're like, the Beatles are, are pretty good. Like, because I grew up with the same kids pretty much my whole life. And they were just like, ah, he's the Beatles guy. Did they apologize or did they I say, hey, we were wrong? I think eventually they figured it out. Okay. But then I think also no one ever articulated it. But I think in retrospect, they're like, that guy kind of knew what he was talking about while we were all making fun of him. There were girls in like grade eight trying to convince me that the new kids on the block were better than the Beatles. You see what I'm dealing with? This is what I had to deal with growing up. It was very hard. All I'll say about that is there was a certain way in which the Beatles were marketed that w was almost proto-pop band or boy band or whatever. But underneath it all was like this songwriting powerhouse yeah. right so it's kind of like in a way i could see how that sometimes the the you know everybody's waiting to pronounce like these are the new beatles Just or whatever. anytime there's like a phenomenon yeah like anytime there's like a mania yeah because beatlemania was like one of the first manias yeah i mean yeah. there wasn't elvis there wasn't elvis mania I mean, there was, but they didn't call it that. They were just like, what, did, what, what are these kids doing? We don't understand it. Yeah. By the time the Beatles came around, they were like, this is a mania. Yeah, yeah. We're going to call it Beatlemania. Yeah. And then, yeah, subsequent to that, everything has been kind of like, this is like the Beatles because, and it's fine. They were, they were unprecedented in their time. Did you make this? No, I didn't make that. That was like, that's really, that's probably from 1980. So I, it's I, a, just, can you describe it for? Oh yeah, sorry. People? It's like, all it is, it's very 1980 or maybe late 70s. And it's a, it's about the size of a shoebox lid. Yeah, that's right. And it has the word, uh, in very plain font, the Beatles on the top right. And then it just has, in total random order, a bunch of Beatles hits yeah. or songs. Yeah. And um, so anyway, actually not even hits, because you can see... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
you know my name which is that really weirdo kind of almost a b-side yeah b-side yeah so anyway i guess for me what it represents is that like the beatles got burned into my brain and it actually has been for me an ongoing struggle to uh to try to write music that i can't trace back to like beetle intervals to be honest with you, yeah. like, I, I really have a lot of trouble. I'm not, sometimes I'm discouraged because you don't want to be the person that writes music and people are like, oh, oh, well, that's just, that's the Beatles did or you, it's Beatlesque. Did you find that, because when the inbreds were hopping, there were sort of beetle references maybe. I mean, like just the way the air we breathe has beetle references in it. But it didn't seem as pronounced, your love of the Beatles, until you kind of started making solo records. Well, see, now what I would say is it was the same. Like, I mean, I wrote the songs for the Inbreds, and they were very melodically inspired. Yeah. Um, but it was such a unorthodox uh, setup with bass, dis you know, distortion on the bass and drums. And, um, and then having to limit the voices to two or whatever. So I think that those restrictions actually um might have covered my path a little bit huh. once i broke out of that and i went to a more conventional lineup then i was expressing those beetle tendencies in a less um obtuse way yeah. i suppose so i think that that's all that happened it's not as though like i have no interest in trying to recreate a particular beatles song and if i think i'm on to one i i really ditch it like I don't want to write anything that's been written but in the end there's something about the choices that I make and I guess my voice or the way I've learned to sing that is uh you know sometimes I fight for a while there I know there's records where I sing with a bit of a British accent and I know that happens because I love you know British music so much right but I'm trying to unselfconsciously like reintroduce R's when I'm singing, you know, sure, like sure. So without hitting them too hard. Sure, sure. Right. So it's it's that kind of a thing. But I mean, it's it's like um, no one just I, I don't think anyone wants to feel like they're making something and then someone can say, oh, that's just this. Like you always want to feel like it takes them a while to figure out what it is. Yeah. So and that's why the new re record I made with with Devin and that band, her, you know, which is kind of the backing band for Bernice from Toronto. Uh -huh. um, I feel like um, I can express myself and my pop ideas, but it's like it's a step away from the the way that I would do it if it was me making a record and playing the bass and playing guitar and playing whatever. Plus, I have all of Devin's very her very different approach and different set of in influences stamping my songs you know and vice versa yeah so i feel like if i was going to really like simplify it i've helped devon become maybe a little bit more accessible and she's helped make make me a little um how would i describe it more abstract yeah more abstract but that that's simplifying things. i know because she she writes pop like crazy she like, does yeah but i find that the and we'll talk about this more yeah. later but i feel like there's a balance there that is i can see the the sort of it's not a tension because it's working very well together but there's someone who is less interested it seems in kind of a linear pop idea and then someone who is and then the 
they're kind of coming together to create something very unique. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. It sounds pretty good, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it more in a sec. I did want to ask you, because we were talking about the inbreds. Yeah. You encountered something kind of interesting in recent years in that you went, the inbreds broke up, you went solo, you, you've done some solo. You, you very, Do you want to sit on my bed? Or no, is that I don't want to sit on your bed. Oh. I know this is the move you pulled with Monica Eckminer. I, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> hey, well, you got the naked people on your wall do you want to sit on my bed it's all very sorted i don't want to be involved no okay. are you right. tired well, do you need a rest is that what this would is would you mind if i lie down <laughs> you could, oh, yes. next you sit down okay. i like standing i've been driving I'm sitting for down quite, on my bed I, I drove for quite a while and it's I've, so comfortable <laughs> i hope your pants aren't chafing you mike are, they, oh, are you okay geez. otherwise okay. all right no i was gonna ask you about the fact that you went solo and you've kind of toured more sporadically and uh, and all that. You've done a couple of inbred shows here and there, sprinkled with them, kind of reunion shows. You're standing again. <laughs> and uh, you probably encountered a whole lot of adoration and affection and nostalgia for something you used to do. How do you compare the experience of going out as Mike O'Neill now with what happened? Uh, what happens when you go out as the inbreds for these sort of rare... Oh, like that's, that's a great question. Um... Well, uh, see, for me, like, they still are just one-offs or reunions, and um, I really like doing them because there was a time when Dave and I broke up, um, you know, there was there was tension after that because... Between you, know, you two? Yeah, because... Um, How did the breakup happen? Well, um... We it was right at Edgefest, and um, but at that time, I guess the way I would put it was, you know, we were on an American label, and the the most beautiful thing about bands that that you may not understand if you're not in one, is like the thing that happens is you start a band and something happens and it's always just a little bit better and it kind of points you in a direction. So somebody wants to play a show with you. Somebody says something good about your record. I, I guess with, with email now, it must even be better. There must be more information coming in all the time, but there's always something that makes you feel like you're going up, like you're going in a good direction. Things are getting better, more like, opportunities. Like if Dave Grohl says he's a big Inbreds fan, or but something. that's at the very end. Very that's end at the very end. end. Yeah. So anyway, so every, <laughs> I just remembered that. <laughs> so everything, everything was kind of going up for us, and and more important things were happening. So like early examples would be, we make a cassette, and we're not very ambitious. We're like, if we sell twenty cassettes at two dollars each, we'll have made back our money to rent the four track machine from. A music store. Sure. Well, it was so, very good. You didn't plug anybody. Okay. So anyway, and then what happens is, and then Dave sends our cassette to Brave New Waves, and they select it out of, as they described at the time, a garbage bag of submissions every week. Right. Right? Interesting uh, unit. terms. Yeah. 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 So anyway, we get on, suddenly we're on Brave New Waves in Montreal, and uh, it's so exciting. You know, like it's like, that like it felt like this is maybe we're doing something important and then uh dave writes dave bedini and dave bedini writes postcards back to us and is totally encouraging and says you got you guys should go on tour so those are all kind of like um step ups and you kind of feel like this is the reason why i'm doing it because we're getting all the, there's all these signs that we're yeah. going the right direction yeah so then that just continued all the way up until we signed 
to tag Atlantic and like along the way Sub Pop was interested in us which was like a fantasy you yeah, know yeah, yeah. so then we signed to tag Atlantic and we made a record and we had a budget to make it and we went to England and all this stuff you know and and we toured with Teenage Fan Club like all of it was just still soaring upwards I didn't know where it was going to end yeah 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 and um and then it ended with the, the label, which was an imprint of Atlantic Records, um, dis, disbanding, folding. folding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, so, and then that, um, that label uh, had a line of creditors that were trying to get paid, you know, and we were owed money too. So for about, it seems to me like a year and a half, Dave and I were sitting in Halifax, trying to get the master for a record we'd recorded and you know trying to come to terms with the fact that we weren't going to get the money that we were we had signed you know yeah, contractually yeah, yeah. to get yeah so it was a big problem like we weren't dropped from the label but the label didn't exist anymore and that was a big blow it's discouraging very discouraging then it's in near the bush we got the master and we put it out and people said this is not the inbreds. This is like, there's all these overdubs and all this stuff. And that was really discouraging too. So I think the combination of, of feeling like the ride was over and then getting some really kind of negative, like people saying, you guys missed the whole thing that was good about you, which was just two guys. And now you're making this ambitious record and you sound like everybody else, which certainly wasn't the case. Right. And that was with it sitting near the bush. Right, right. But I found that really discouraging. And I'm sometimes I can be easily discouraged. Yeah. So when we made our last record, which was, um, this is a long answer. Are you okay with it? It's fine. Okay. Yeah. We made the last record, which was uh, Winning Hearts. That was sort of like, how can we go back? How can we make another combinator? And so at that time, I was, I was actually trying to think about how, what I was thinking when I wrote those songs. And if you're doing that and repeating yourself four or five years later, you're in a bad position. Right. So I was like trying to think of how to keep things minimal. I mean, maybe it was a good challenge, but so I wrote those songs we went back, we made it with the same people. We got Dave Clark again and Dale Morningstar, and um, we made the record, and it's a good record for sure. It's a great record. But it, it sort of, it turned out to be the last one, because I just think that it, it felt like the things weren't in our control anymore. And um, and and I, and I had a lot of ideas I wanted, to, like I wanted to try. I started to feel like this is a novelty. What if it wasn't bass and drums? Would people still like it? So I had to find out. And right. so, so for me, that's why I, I didn't want to do it anymore. And then, so our second last show of all time, and Dave Grohl is, you know, pumping us and talking uh, on Much Music about how good we are. And then he finally comes up and makes us an offer to, to do a tour of the States. But I was so... By that point, Dave and I had talked about how it was going to be our last shows and i just said to him no we aren't going to do that and it was so funny to his face to dave Grohl's face in front of dave and dave just sort of thought that's you're being really dumb we should just do these shows but to this day i kind of think it would have just prolonged this doubt that i had yeah. about i had to move on but what i wanted to tell you was dave Grohl was so famous um that like if if you're dave Grohl, and then there's like a group of people over there and a group of people over there 
well, he's talking to us, but everybody is like having <laughs> pretend conversations, like looking out of the corner of their eye at him talking to us. Right. And when we played our show, there's an audience in front of us and they're looking to the side of the stage where he's looking at us. Right. And then we're looking at the audience. This triangle. It's very distracting. Well, it's just sort of like, it's. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Beetle, it was like Dave Grohl mania. It was Dave Grohl foo mania. <laughs> foo mania. So, um, and and he was he was as down to earth as a. Per- I mean, I guess it helped that he liked us. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. going to tell you, he's such a great guy. No, no, he likes no. us so much. But he was so he was so supportive, and I ended up meeting him later in Halifax. And again, he was just like, I think he loves music. Yeah, and, and he just is excited about music, and he's such a fan of music and so we were we were stunned that he he liked us and it wasn't easy to like us on that tour because we were the band that was playing when they were like you know putting the men's washroom signs up or like you played very early in the day yeah 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 yeah. so somehow he chose to champion us Uh and uh that was a huge deal and to this day like it's it's one of the two things people talk about with me right is like Dave Grohl was a fan. I'm happy with that. That's well, not a bad thing. But but so back to my question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just how... want to ask you about. We you have... asked it around the time John Lennon got shot, wasn't? No, it? I don't know when. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I asked okay. the question actually in 1980, <laughs> okay. and now here we are. Okay. You know what? Let's hold off on the question. <laughs> what? What was? It? I think we. I can wrap it up. Well, I, know... I wanted to ask you about what it's like to play your own shows. Oh, I I can wrap it up. Wrap it up. I'm gonna wrap it up. So uh, playing playing uh, with the Inbreds, every time the Inbreds get together, it's like, I remember one of the big shows we played was, what was it? It was at Lee's Palace. Yeah, for Canadian, Canadian Music, Music Week, Week or something, yeah. And it's like, you're playing and people are watching you, but it's like, you're just sort of, you're playing songs that they don't even really belong to you anymore, in mm. a way, like mm. they're they're everybody's songs or like a lot of the people that were there. I recognized a lot of people. So it's in a way you're just sort of flipping through a a yearbook or something. Like I, I kind of feel like nostalgia is so important in, in those situations. And I, I feel lucky, you know, I feel lucky to have connected with so many people and, and be important that they really like singing along and being there. But you know, the inbreds will never exist again until I write a new song for the inbreds. And at this point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I've changed this thing of, will you ever reunite? I've changed your question to that. But it's kind of like, I I wasn't even asking that, but go ahead. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't exist until we write new songs. So every time it's just an exercise in learning the songs again, and then playing them. And you know, I can hit all the notes and I can play the parts. And I, and I still think like that was pretty smart playing the bass that way. Like when I learn it, I think that that's just as clever. And those songs are, are as good. Like if I wrote any of those songs now, I'd be very happy with them. Yeah. I kind of feel like, you know, when, whenever I read a review of an artist and it says they're getting better, I think that probably isn't a good sign because it's like, (laughs) I find with, with most songwriters I know, their early songs are crazy good. And then if they can maintain that for a while, that's good. Right. So I, I'm still just trying to write his songs, you know, songs that are as fresh as those first ones I, I wrote right. when I didn't know what I was doing. Right. right. So 
Um, anyway, so then playing a Mike O'Neill show, it's tough. And I think it's tough because um, I think that a lot of young people maybe aren't as interested in bands that are a little bit older. Well, there's that aspect too. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at it this way, if you had been playing a Mike O'Neill show at Lee's Palace, I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah. I've decided at this point in the conversation to be completely honest oh, with I you. Oh, I love it. Everything else has been completely lies. And no, I'm just. I kidding. need to hear everything back. My point is if you were doing a Mike O'Neill show at Lee's Palace during Canadian Music Week, do you think, or why do you, and I think you probably know this. For some reason, that would not garner as much excitement as an inbred show. Guaranteed. And and why is that? Like, I don't know. Because you're the same songwriter. The songs are just as good. I, I like them. Well, it isn't the inbreds. That's that's one thing It's the for name sure. thing. It's like a name recognition Oh, yeah, I guess thing. it might be. And yeah. it's history, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I do think that, like, people want to hear those songs. Like, they want to hear... And the fact that Any Sense of Time got played on much music... Yeah. And the over like if if I just listened to people, I I could believe that that was the only good song I ever wrote because hmm. they they that's the one that they like that was on heavy rotation right. on much music and for a while I thought it was I thought maybe this is the only good song I ever wrote but then I realized like well I've written other good songs no you've too. definitely written yeah. a lot of other good songs Mike so anyway um but anyway all I'm trying to say is sometimes it's a bit discouraging uh when I play live, even in my own, even in Halifax, and it's not super well attended, but it's like, I do it for different reasons now. Like I, I guess what I'm saying is I just want to make good records. And, and the other thing I've realized was <laughs> when I was, when I was, if you'd talk to the young inbred version of Mike O'Neill, I would have said, I want to make music for a living. That's my fantasy. That's what I want to do. Well, I did that. I actually, for like about 15 months, my rent was covered and I even had extra money and I didn't have to do anything. Yeah. And actually, I was a little bit depressed. Oh. Yeah, which is interesting. But then, then and ever since I've been, you know, it's been a side project for me. To, you know, the, the music has been more of a hobby and I do it when I can do it. But what I was going to say was that now... I just want to not lose too much money making music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that if I if I make records and I end up losing a lot of money, then I'm going to have to think of it as a vanity project, like that I'm just doing stuff and paying for it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to feel like it's covered, like I just break even, then I'll be okay. So that's yeah. my that's the new thing I shoot for, and I think that. The rest of my living, like whatever I'm doing, if it's writing scripts, which I do now, I think that's all going to inform uh, whatever I'm writing about, yeah. like all those experiences, which is great. Because I think at the brief time that I was a professional musician, period, I didn't have really any input. And that's why I wasn't very happy. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, was, no, no. Don't apologize. Okay. That was totally interesting. You know, we're in your childhood home. Do you have any chores that need to get done? Yes, I. Uh, I'll show you what I need we to do get some, done. I, I wouldn't mind. You want to see just what I, watching you do some chores? Okay, well here I'm going to hand you the mic here. Okay, should we should we go to another song? Uh, sure. And do you want uh, from Wild Lines? Or yeah, or actually, because I want to talk about Colors, your new record yeah. with Devin. Uh, why don't we Why don't we play something from that? Do you want to play something from that? Can we? Do well, you? why don't you play the title track, Colors? Okay. Okay. All right, let's play that, and then let's go do some chores. Okay.
haven't felt the fire inside You haven't heard the stormy night I'll show my colors now My colors I never said I could change I never said I could change the can be gentle when I'm trying to sell generous when it serves me well I hide my colors well my colors I want to wear them on my sleeve the things you say I want to believe but oh my colors my colors You don't have to pretend If you don't understand It's funny, you know, in that earlier episode, the, the, I was talked to a couple guys from NPR. Yeah. And they told me that you should always be rolling. I've oh. been doing this a long time, and I'm like, yeah, I always usually get it rolling. But you started talking just now, and I wasn't ready. Oh, no, I, but I jumped I all bad. over you. No, it's Is fine. it working yeah, now? No, everything's, everything, fine? everything's fine. Okay, okay, okay. Where are we? Uh, we're in the driveway, and this is the driveway I was talking about that we always... I used to... I mean, I was the youngest of six, but I did spend a lot of time alone, and... Um, how is that possible? You, there were well, six kids in your house. Yeah, there was. But I mean, like I was uh, the youngest by three and a half years. Oh, okay. And so when those kids got to a certain teenage uh, age, they didn't hang around sure, a lot. Sure. So I would set up the goalie net and stick garbage cans and other things in the net and then take shots on the net. And That sounds lonely and sad. No, it was actually really fun. And I would kind of like throw myself into the garage door and pretend it was like a big hit. Wow. And yeah. No, I had a good time. You had a good imagination. Thank you very much. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, what I was going to say was the reason or I wanted you to start recording because I was going to say that like, I want to talk about Devin for a second, if I could. This is your partner on your excellent new record, uh, Colors. That's right. Um, so the way I met Devin was, I was reading an article about Doug Tealy on the Zunier site, which is run by Dave Ulrich. Yep. And uh, 
And then there was a link to um, her song, If I Can Do That, or If I Can Do This, I Can Do Anything, which is on uh, her album, I Love You Go Easy. And uh, I hadn't heard a song that blew me away so much since um, Built to Spill, Nothing Wrong With Love, wow. in uh, 1994. Um, and I think that the thing about that song is that it was incredibly accessible and then the chord progression in the chorus, you have to listen to it. You have to hear it, but it does something unexpected. It doesn't go to the chord that you expect, but it's very satisfying. Hmm. And to, to just have that, throw that little wrinkle in it so confidently, when you have this song that is like begging to go in one direction and then you do the thing that's unexpected, that is so cool and so charismatic. And then you find like, wow, that choice is way cooler than what she could have done. I wouldn't have cared about the song if she had gone the other way. Is that is that based on her particular musical proficiency or training, or is it a kind of a happy accident? Well, at the time I discovered it, I didn't know anything about her. So I, I, the other thing I remember... I remember you telling me, uh, probably for something for CBC or something that I was working on, Yeah, you made a list of like five things you liked and hers was one of them oh yeah and you told me then later in person that you really wish you could work with her yeah and then i feel like it it just happened it kind of did like so what happened was it's kind of a neat story but um she i found out that okay so anyway her lyrics were really good too really good and her use of words just blew me away great phrasing great phrasing yeah so then i looked her up and i didn't know like is she famous is she well, I figured she was famous because it sounded so good. And then I thought, is she dead? Wow. Is, is she, like, I had no idea. You went from famous to dead. Yeah. I that says a lot about you. I guess it does. You went from optimistic, like, maybe she's a big deal, to maybe she's gone. Yeah, forever. I know, it's weird. But anyway, I'm just telling you the things Yeah, yeah, I no, that's of. fine. So, <laughs> Where's she from? Well, she's from, she was born just outside of Kingston. Weird. Yeah. That's where you spent some time. Yeah, but here's even weirder. It was a commune that she grew up on and she only lived there till she was three. Oh. So it was outside of Kingston. Then she moved to Charlottesville, Virginia. So technically oh. she was oh. born in Canada but has spent the rest of her life not in Canada. Oh, okay, okay. So then she moved to a place called Twin Oaks uh, in Virginia. I, I don't quite know. I think that that's where it is. And then, and, then, uh, and then she got married and she lived in Germany and she lived in England, and now she lives with her husband, Paul Carreri, in uh, Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. And he's a, he's a famous musician as but well. But she's on Zunior. No, no. Oh, oh, oh. No, no. Uh, Doug, Doug Tielli was on Zunior, and she's on a, a label called Tin Angel. But Doug had collaborated with her because he was playing in a band called The Silt. Oh, right, of course. Yeah. One of the best and, bands ever. Yes. If I might say. Yes, and so they played. They're the backing band on "I Love You Go Easy." Oh, so that's I think that's where that association begins. So Doug also plays on our new record, Colors. Right. But anyway, the point is, Devin. Wow, you know, totally wowed by her. And then I looked her up on um, YouTube, and the first thing I saw was she was on the Jules Holland show, and oh. it's like, oh, well, she's a superstar. She's famous. Yeah, she's famous. But then. It appeared like she wasn't as famous because, like, or she just seemed so accessible, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so she was making these things on YouTube called. A newspaper just came at your, your door. Isn't that, there. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Nice. This is great. So <laughs> it's great to be at your uh, your the house where you grew up at, 
and talking about all your stuff. It's yes. Great. Yeah. So this, uh, so so uh, she d- does this thing called low key karaoke, uh-huh. and what that is is like she is is. She sings songs that are very well known, like that could be an Everly Brothers song or a Beatles song that everybody sort of would have a shot at singing harmony to. And uh, so I submitted to it. I submitted to it. And, um, and uh, well, she liked it. And then I think we, we might have talked about it a bit. And I gave her advice about maybe some other good duos that she could do. And then she said, I'm coming to Halifax and you live there. So why don't we play a show? So we played a show, and then I came down and visited my mom. And at the time, my mom owned a truck, and I drove Devin around to three more shows in Ontario. Okay. And I and I hopped up on stage and played a couple of duos, and then did like a few songs on my own. And we really got along well. Oh, nice! And at the end of it, Devin said, "Do you want to do a collaboration of some sort?" And the way we thought made the most sense was, uh, to, well, to co-write a record and send it back and forth. And that's what we did. And, and so we started last July, and then we went in and recorded the album in March. And we did 16 songs. So we, 10 of them are on the record, but there's six left over. And we were planning on augmenting that and then releasing a second record. Oh, wow. And it's coming out on Tin Angel, which is the base out of Coventry, England. Okay. Anyway, but that is all to lead up to what I wanted to tell you, which was like, even though I'm an old dog in some ways, like I've made lots of records, she, there were all these little, little things that she showed me about, because I just find when, on her records when she's performing, she is so in the moment, like she's so in the moment, and I'm like a polisher, like I'll just try to sing it until I make it perfect. And the first thing she noticed was, it was like the first day we were doing vocals with Sandro Perry, who helped us too. He was producing a record, but... He's a, a great man and a friend of mine. I oh, love Sandro. I, I, it's, yeah, he is amazing. Yeah. Um, but I got my lyrics out for the song I was going to sing, and I put them up on a stand. And it, this was a song where Devin and I were singing together, and she said, I noticed you have the lyrics uh, on there, eh? And I was like, yeah. And she said, do you, do you really need them? And I was like, well, I mean, just in case, in case I forget some words. And she said, yeah, no, I understand. And I was like, it's, I always do this. I always have the lyrics there. And she said, well, if you know the lyrics anyway, why don't you just try it without them? You know, and she just has a way of like making suggestions in a gentle way that is so supportive and helpful. What, what, what would have motivated her to get you to do that? She wanted me to sing better than I, I she would never put it that way. But she, she thinks you were too on the page. Too on the page. like anything. Not in the moment enough. Exactly. So if huh. you're reading and you're looking at the words and the letters and you're not looking, like especially if you're doing a duet, yeah. she wants kind of like, she wants to really lock in and be singing together. There's a video of the first song from your record. It's called You Can Come Home Again. Yeah. And uh, it was shot, I think it was a Southern Souls video. Yeah. And she is singing with, uh, is it Tom Gill? Tom Gill. Tom Gill on guitar. And they are just eye locks, yeah, locked Vulcan. eyes locked, yeah. and they're not looking at anything else, and they're just singing together. And yeah, it's, it's actually a stunning thing to watch. Yeah, because it, it you're just like this is my thing about her, and I've gotten all of this because of you. You yeah. introduced me to this woman's music. Yeah, I feel like she's got this uh, enigmatic quality. It's alluring, yeah. and I can't get enough of it. I want to know more about her, but she seems to, as I say, 
there's a bit of distance within her songs that is a, it's completely compelling. And then to find the two of you together, yeah. how are you informing each other's work? Because oh. I don't know that you do that necessarily. You're a great songwriter and the songs are very accessible, but I feel like this coming together, there must have been some kind of trade-off for both of you. Well, the, okay, so are you kind of asking about the process and how we might have done that? A little bit, I think, but also when you sit back and listen to this new record, yeah. do you see that? Do you see how each of you have kind of informed the other? Oh, very much. Now, okay, so for instance, it's like both being fans of each other's work. So it's like she would send me a song and then I would be like, it's done. It's perfect. What I mean, there's nothing to co-write here. It's all done. And so, but I wanted to somehow do something. And so what I started doing, I think she was the, I, I'm saying this as though I was the first and I think she did this first, but I transcribed her song into my key because my voice is a little bit lower. And then I sang her song, sent it back to her. And in the process, I, <laughs> I got some chords wrong and I dropped off some words and I added some others and that became the collaboration. It's oh, okay. just sort of a processing of each other's songs. But that, that made us so much more excited about our own songs than we were before the other person put their stamp on it. Because you haven't really collaborated. I mean, never, you, work, you never. work with bands, but you haven't written songs with people. It's the, it, and, and I'll tell you, here's the big difference, the huge difference. Like even with the inbreds, I would work on the songs and I'd present them to Dave. And so I never even really knew how people felt about stuff until it was done and it was out there. And, then I, and normally it was a positive reaction. And the thing about collaborating is you the person you're collaborating with gives you feedback in real time or whatever, you know, they hear it and it gives you so much confidence as you're still working on the song, not when it's done. Yeah. Right. And plus you have, when you're working with somebody as sharp as Devin, she's making the song better as you're working on it. So it was great. Like, why would you do it any other way? If you yeah. can find somebody you like working with, of course I want to work with her again and I want to do it again, or I want to collaborate with someone. Um, wow, so this is really eye-opening for you. Oh, absolutely. Huh. And then on top of that, working with musicians like Tom Gill, yeah. who's like, he's probably... Top five, ten guitarists in the country, absolutely, I'd say. Yeah. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, or even, I was thinking even greater no, I, than that. Yeah, I don't know that people know what he's capable of. And the thing that he does that makes him so different is he doesn't, like, imprint... It's, it, he doesn't turn it into a Tom Gill thing, no, he's whatever he's doing. he's a collaborator. He's, he's a collaborator. team player, that guy. It's like he expands your idea into being greater yeah. than it was. And, and I was afraid because I thought, he is so capable, uh, and my songs are so caveman. Like, what's, <laughs> what's going to be the trade-off? But he just made my songs, like, flattering. It's just like yeah. he's like a beautiful photographer or something. Yeah. So Well, and so it sounds like you've got you're saying that there's potentially a whole other record that you guys could Oh, release. yeah, there is. There's we've well, we have some songs left over and we're deciding what to do with them, but we we recorded 16 and this record that we're releasing is only 10. So one option is we make some more songs and then have yeah, a follow-up. Yeah. So um but I'm also excited about writing my own music again too. So it's just really got me excited yeah that's nice. that's what the whole thing is and will you be touring together you and, and Devin? yes uh definitely um i all i the only dates i'm sure of right now is there's going to be some dates in november 
and oh October and November. Okay. And I think that they're in um, they're in Europe. Okay. But that's when we're going to be doing it together. I think Devin's doing some stuff because she she actually has quite an established fan base in uh, Europe, but primarily in England. So she's going to go back and kind of revisit those places. So uh, and you may accompany accompany her in the late on the later tour. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that's I'm really looking forward to that. Last time I was in Europe. Uh, well, on a musical project, I was supporting Sarah Harmer. Like, I was in her band. I right. played guitar for her. So it's pretty fun to go back and be playing music that you helped write. So that's that's why it's exciting. Good for you, man. Now, and you're, and you're also, you're saying you were working on this uh, Trailer Park Boys script for a new movie? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, the, the, the movie is shot. Uh, oh, it's done. Oh, it's okay. done. So I started working on that last year. Were you, like, on set for stuff? No, I wasn't on set because I was recording the record. Oh. That ha- they they uh, shot it in March when uh, Devin and, and the band and I were uh, recording. But you got updates and stuff? I got updates from Mike, and I co-wrote the movie with Mike, um, you know, between 2012, February to, uh, well, one year later. Right. It was a, like a one-year process. We wrote the film. And uh, I think it's probably going to be in theaters in 2014. Okay. But it was really, really... That must be thrilling, man. Oh, it was great. It's like, it's like working on a giant song with somebody else. Again, it's a, co- a collaboration, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, well... Uh, I... Oh, and now, now I've, I've got... What else a... do you got coming up, Mike? Well, I have to do some hedges. And, uh, hedges? So I'm, right. I'm going to trim some hedges, and I have this... Uh, I'm not going to tell you the brand name, but it's... <laughs> Go ahead. It's, it's no, a I'm home not, light. Not, it's a home light... Um, kind of what would you call that it looks really a trimmer dangerous and it's so much like doing um like i do uh location sound where you hold a boom pole yeah it looks like head. a boom but yeah is this safe oh it's totally safe okay so and you're gonna you can see some of my work there just see very, that very beautiful uh yeah so the trick to doing hedges this is the third year i've been doing it for my mom uh-huh. is like trying to see the geometric shapes inside the hedge <laughs> and i actually find it really uh uh, therapeutic, therapeutic, or meditative. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so I'm gonna you stand back, and I'm gonna do this. All right. Let me. Let me. Let's. I, I hope this goes okay. Are you able to talk while you're doing this? Well, I, okay. Question, do, do I can always talk? Vish. You I know, must know I, by I, now. I'm aware of that. So there we go. I believe this is some deadly lampshade that I'm cutting off here. Oh, okay. I feel like I should get more into like gardening and botanical stuff myself. You're well. It's so. I mean, I know that I'm helping my mom. It just feels great. Nice with every thing. I'm and, sure. I'm sure she appreciates it. And it's good. It's a good workout too. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna do this whole stretch of. I'm gonna do this whole stretch. I did the uh, f- the front uh, of the house yesterday, and then there's tons of hedges in the backyard. So it's Man. definitely like a three day job. Good for you. Yeah. This is fun. It's a nice sunny day and you're going to have fun. I think I just need to get a hat and some sunglasses and, and just, you know, and I'll look Just cool. so you look like you're in disguise. So <laughs> yeah. people aren't like, did you see Mike O'Neill? Oh, yeah. Trimming real, hedges over there? A real danger of that. <laughs> yeah. Mike, it's been great to chat with you today. Oh, Vish, thanks so much for coming. Yeah. And uh, it's just a thrill. I feel, I just wish you didn't have to come so far. No, no, it's fine. You're okay. here from Halifax, Nova Scotia that's for true. crying out loud. You're here much, that's why I wanted to talk to you while you were around. Well, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, well, best of luck with everything, and uh, people can check out the new record that you made with Devin Sproul. It's called Colors, and it's great. It's fantastic. I think people are really going to love it. And the release date is September 24th. I thought it was 27th. 
if I said that, I was wrong. <laughs> it just came back to me. I said it was meditative. It yeah, came back right. to me. September yeah. 24th. September 24th, the record's out. That's right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you, Vish. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H, K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.